I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, touch my heart. Speak to my mind. Help me to respond. Help me to be a person of unstoppable hope. Unstoppable faith. Unstoppable joy. Nothing can stop us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who are the people saying that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. God has blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus said, for my father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. You are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church. Everybody say, he will build his church. And the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever doors you lock on earth shall be locked in heaven, and whatever doors you open on earth will be open in heaven. This morning, I want to continue my series entitled Unstoppable. And on Easter, we discovered that God is an unstoppable God. And as a, as a result of God being an unstoppable God, we have unstoppable hope. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and on. And Peter says, we have been born again into a living, everybody say living hope. We have been born into a unstoppable hope, and as a result of that, we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven that will neither spoil, fade, or pass away, or perish, and he says we also are shielded by faith. And so we learned a couple of weeks ago that not only do we have an unstoppable hope, but we've got an unstoppable faith. We are shielded by faith until the coming of Jesus Christ. He, so, he said, but though now you have to go through difficult times in your life, the trying of your faith that's more precious than gold or silver, he said, being refined in the fire, even though you go through this, he says, you believe in God even though you haven't seen him, even though you don't see him now, you believe, and as a result of that, you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, and so hope plus faith equals joy. Everybody say hope, hope. plus faith equals joy. Now, I want you, listen to me. Some of you need to look in the mirror when you're saying that. Some of you need to get up tomorrow morning and remind you that you have joy in your life and that you're born again and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why? Because I'm looking at you right now and you're making me depressed. You know, I've got hope. Yeah. Come on, everybody say hope, hope. Faith, faith, and joy, joy. make up our life. Hope and faith equals joy in our life. And as a result of that, we become unstoppable in our life. 
that nothing can stop us. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that lives in the world. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And this morning I want to talk to you about being an unstoppable church. Being an unstoppable church church. You see, the truth is sometimes we forget why we exist. Why are we here? What does God want us to do in our life? What does God, what's God's purpose for us as a church? What's God's purpose for us as individuals? And the truth is we can possess faith and we can possess hope and we can possess joy But so often we can get distracted and discouraged and even disinterested in spiritual things because we really don't understand our very purpose in life. And the purpose of our life is that in everything we do, we glorify God. Amen? In the purpose of our life is that we are now on a mission. You know, I often say that when I'm water baptizing people, I might do them a favor if I hold them down a little bit longer, right? Because I'll send them right to heaven. Now, nobody's going to want to get water baptized. By the way, there's a water baptismal service next week, and you need to be a part of that, right? But And I won't do that. I promise you. Nobody's going to want to be water baptized by Pastor Steve, right? But the truth of the matter is, is you're on this earth today. Jesus could take you straight to heaven, and you'd be in glory. You're on this earth today for one reason that you bring glory to God in the way you live your life and you tell as many people as you can about the love of Jesus and you bring as many people into the kingdom of God as you can. Somebody help me out. You see, we have a mission in life. We have a purpose in life. We've got this divine purpose. We've got an inspired mandate from God. We have a daring mission so that every day when we wake up in the morning, we go to work, we go to school, Wherever we go, we know that we're living a life of mission. We're living on mission for God. And if you really take a good look at the early church, there was something about them. They were dynamic. They were powerful. They were inspiring and they were contagious. They had something that most Christians sadly don't possess today. In fact, it was the very thing that gave them courage. It was the very thing that gave them boldness. It was the thing that kept them steadfast and faithful. And it gave them this unstoppable determination in life. Don't forget, these were the same Christians that cowered in the upper room. You know, they were afraid of the Romans. They were afraid that they were going to be crucified like Jesus. After all, they saw Jesus put on the cross, being beaten and crucified, and now they're afraid. And this same group of Christians that were afraid, something happened in their life. Something happened in their psyche. Something happened deep down in their spirit, in their soul, that made them unstoppable. And I believe it was two things. Number one, it was the resurrection. When they saw Jesus resurrected, it gave them hope. Number two, it was the power of the spirit that came in their life. And they were in the upper room, and the spirit of God came and God sent them on mission and he said when you receive the Holy Spirit you will receive power from on high dunamis enabling power from on high and as a result of the Spirit living inside of you you will become unstoppable and you'll take this message to Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth you'll take it from Valley Stream to Limbrook to the corners of the earth why? because you will be an un 
unstoppable church. And now Jesus reminds Peter, listen, Peter, you're a stone. Now, I know some people get crazy about, was Peter the first pope? And, you know, was it the rock? And was it the, you know, listen to me. The truth of the matter is Jesus built his church on the apostles. He did. And he started with Peter and Paul. So I'm not going to get into a theological debate on whether he was a part. It doesn't matter. Listen, Jesus always uses us. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So really what he was saying is, Peter, you're a small rock, and I'm going to build off of that. I'm going to build my church. But listen to me. It's not you that's building the church. I'm going to build the church. Come on, somebody say amen. Glory to God. And so we become unstoppable when we know our mission in life. They were convinced that Jesus came as the Messiah to give them what they were looking for, peace and security and dominance over the Roman government, and something changes. They go from people that are self-centered, they go from people that are thinking about themselves now to people that are absolutely on a mission to love the world. They were persecuted, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison. Peter's thrown in prison, and the church begins to pray, and the Bible says the house is shaken. Peter is let, let go, and he goes back to the the house and and the Bible says the leaders the Jewish leaders they came to, to Peter and they said you better stop talking in the name of Jesus or we're gonna throw you back in prison and Peter says listen you judge for yourself whether it's right or wrong but we can't stop speaking about this Jesus that's done something in our life listen when Jesus has touched your life when Jesus has given you hope when Jesus has given you faith when Jesus has given you joy you become an unstoppable force in this world come on somebody help me out today glory God. So we can't. Oh, they threw him in prison. When Stephen was stoned, the Bible says that the church was scattered throughout the known world and they went preaching the gospel. They were unstoppable. In fact, Paul the apostle prays. He says, would you pray with me? He says that the gospel would go forth from this place. In fact, Peter is, 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 is a man that is on a mission. Paul is a man that's on a mission. Stephen's on a mission. And Paul, while he's in prison, and we talked about it last week, while he's in prison, he declares, listen to me, you can chain me, but you can't chain the word. He said, you can chain me to a Roman guard, but you cannot chain the word. He says, I, I pray that this word would go out throughout the whole earth. And Jesus tells us that he will build the church. Notice what he says. He, he gives us this unstoppable, powerful, divine weapon called the church. And he says, you go forth in the power of the gospel. You go forth doing great things. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that these people were so unstoppable that just in a few short years, the church had influenced the entire known world. And by the year three. 313 A.D., all of Rome was considered Christian. Think about that. I mean, I, you know, we could get into church history and we could say, you know, why did Constantine actually do that? You know, when he actually made all the Roman soldiers in the whole, the whole Roman Empire become Christian. And were they all Christians? No, they weren't. But there's something to be said about that. I mean, I've been in Rome a couple of times and it's been amazing. And I'll never forget walking into the Colosseum for the very first time. The place where Christians were martyred, a place where there was great death, a place where Roman citizens would gather and watch incredible things happening in that Colosseum. 
and it was actually a it was actually a, it was it was something that the Romans set up so people could live with fear and awe of the Roman government. And now you walk into the Colosseum, and what's right smack dab in the middle of the Colosseum? A big cross. Hallelujah! Jesus conquered the Romans. Come on, somebody. Christianity conquered, and how did it happen? Through twelve men who turned into you know the disciples of Christ who who were in the upper room, 120, and that 120, 3,000, and, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, and the church just kept on growing and growing and growing, and it's still growing today because the church is unstoppable. And how do I know that the church is unstoppable? Because Jesus, number one, I want you to write this down. Jesus gave the church an unstoppable mandate from himself. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, Peter, you're a stone, and upon the stone I will build my church. Listen to me. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Those five words have changed the whole course of history. Those five words, just let it sink deep into your heart. Jesus said, listen, let's break it down. I will build my church. Jesus didn't say, if you get on board, I'm going to build the church. Now, let me tell you something. He wants us to partner with him. He wants us to be a part of the great commission. We're co-partners with God. But listen to me. If you choose not to do it, he's going to find somebody else. And I'm so glad that when I was 19 years old, I decided I want to co-partner with God. I want to go on this incredible journey with God. Man, let me tell you something. I wouldn't trade anything in my life. Listen to me. I love Jesus with all my heart. I've got a beautiful family. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a great mission, and I'm a Yankee fan. Let me tell you something, folks. I wouldn't change anything in my life. Come on, somebody. And there's this sense of mission. And I'm thankful that I, I joined and I partnered with God on this great commission. Because, man, let me tell you, great are the rewards of those who partner with God. And the Bible says Jesus is coming back with great rewards in his hands for those who give themselves to glorifying him and doing his work. I'm so glad that he gave me the honor and the privilege of working with him. But let me tell you something. If you don't do it, he's going to find somebody. You know why? Because he said, I will build my church. He didn't say Pastor Steve's going to build the church. He didn't say Pastor Henry's going to build the church. He didn't say you are going to build the church. He said, I will build the church. I know there are times when some of you, you start to think, man, Pastor Steve, he's up with those. He's, he, he's thinking about another crazy idea. Oh, boy, did you see what color he painted the stage? Look at those jeans he's wearing. The church is going down. Oh, boy. Let me tell you something. You don't have to worry because I can be here or I might be gone, but it doesn't matter. Jesus is going to build his church, glory to God, because this church is founded on Jesus. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the center of the church, and you are not dependent on the pastor. You're dependent on the master, and as long as Jesus is here. You have nothing to worry about because he's going to build his church. I will. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say if you get on board. He said I will. That's why I love that we started out on Easter looking at Isaiah 14. It says when God makes a plan, when he raises his hand, who can stop him? Hallelujah. When God says something, 
Who can stop him? The God of the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word, and he made a statement. He said, I will build my church. It's going to happen. I will build. He's building it today. He's building it with you and I. I will build my church. It's his church. It doesn't belong to me. He bought it. He died for it. He paid for it. And he's the Lord over his church. I will build my church. And what is the church? I, I know that some of you, you wake up on Sunday morning and say, you're going to the church. You're going to church. This is just building. These are just walls. Listen to me. You are the church. So tomorrow morning, bring the church to work. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You are the church. The Bible says we are living stones. We are the church. We are the temple of the living God. The whole, you, you understand the Holy Spirit, the creator of the heavens and the earth, when you got saved, when you were born again, he came to live inside of you. And if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, it'll quicken your mortal body. You are the church. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life, but you're the church. Come on. We are the church. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. So you need to take the church to work tomorrow morning. That's the problem with so many of you in this room. Is that you think, you know what, I, and I love when you invite your friends to church, but you know what? It's better off that you take the church to them. They don't want to get up at 8.30 in the morning, 10.30 on Sunday, but you bring it to them. Come on, God. Oh, but I can't. I don't know what. Listen, that's why you need to come and get trained on May the 5th, we're going to train you how to share the gospel with everybody, five to eight minutes, to share the gospel with people. Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. You are the church. And wherever you go, God goes with you. And I, and I think if we could really get that into our hearts, we'd, we'd get up in the morning and say, God, who do you want me to speak to today? And sometimes the church speaks. Most of the time, the church acts and shows them. See, you're a living epistle known and read by all men. That's why we do Hope Day every year. That's why Hope Day has become so powerful. This year, 22 sites in New Jersey all the way to the tip of Long Island. Hundreds of people, thousands of people gathering together, volunteering. Why? Because we want to show the world the church. And we're taking the church out of these four walls. Are you with me? Are you with me? How many of you are going to help me with Hope Day this year? Say, yeah, I'm with you, Pastor. Come on, I'm with you, Pastor. I I'm with you. And man, every time we serve somebody a hot dog in the name of Jesus and we pray over it, oh, Lord, please, don't let them die over it. No, I'm just kidding. And every time we serve them in the medical tent with all the doctors and the nurses and every time we set up a chair and every time we sing a song and every time we bless the children and every time we hand a bag of groceries out, we're preaching the gospel. That is the church, the living church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, don't worry, I will build my church. Be assured, he's building his church. Amen? And so he gives this, this, this divine mandate that we are to build with him the church. Why? Because he died for it, he paid for it, and now he wants to expand it. 
I love what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says. Listen, listen closely. You are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are built together into a dwelling place for God's spirit. Hallelujah. That's why he said where two or three are gathered together, I am in their midst. Ephesians 4.16 declares, Christ Jesus is the head of the church, his body, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with its, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And it's his church. It's not our church, but it's his church. And, and the church is the hands and feet of Christ in a dying world. In all of its majesty, in all of its beauty, in all of its radiance and wonder. I mean, think about it for a minute. If the church wasn't in the world today, I mean, you know, the early disciples, they went out. They went out and, and took babies out of, out of trash cans. That The Romans, they would have babies and just put them in trash cans, and they took them out, and they raised these children like they, they were their own. They went out and fed the hungry and the poor, and they clothed the naked. They were the beauty of God to the world. And if you take the church out of the world today, you rape the world of its very best of its very best. All of the hospitals. Think about all of the hospitals. Think about all of the universities. Think about all of the teen challenge centers. Think about all of the benevolent work that the church has done in this world. It is the radiance of God's beauty. The church is Jesus' body. And when we're working together hand in hand, we become a beautiful expression of the love of God. I mean, look at the church, the early church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all believers were together and they had everything in common. They were unstoppable. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every day, they, every day, every day, they were unstoppable as they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God. And everyone enjoyed the favor of God. Listen, and the Lord added to their number, unstoppable. The Lord added to their number, unstoppable. The Lord added to their number, daily those that were being saved number two jesus gave the church an unstoppable mission listen to me no, nothing can stop a church that is fulfilling jesus's mission you see the reason why churches die is because they forget what their mission is the reason why churches are not blessed by god is because they get off mission but as long as a church stays on mission, you know, I have committed that as long as I'm the pastor of Bethlehem Assembly of God, I will keep the church on mission. That our mission is to reach lost people. That our mission is to partner with ministries and missionaries all around the world. That our mission is to go from this place and be the light of the world. That our mission is to disciple people, to grow them in God. 
And nothing can stop a church that knows its mission. So that Jesus came, and listen what he says. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Listen to me. The key of being an unstoppable church is to know, to be fully convinced, to live in the authority that God has given us through Jesus Christ. The key is being unstoppable because we know our authority All power has been given to us through Jesus Christ. The truth is, we often skim through this statement. All authority has been given to to me, therefore go. But stop for a moment. Would you please stop for a moment and think of the implications of this statement. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Jesus says, because I've been given all authority, you can go. Because all authority has been given to me, therefore, you can make disciples. Because all authority has been given to me, you can baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because all authority has been given to me, you can go and lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. You can cast out demons, and they will be delivered. Why? Because the Bible tells us that all authority has been given to Jesus. Now, the question is, didn't he have authority before he created the heavens and the earth. Yes, but here's what just really blows my mind. That even though Jesus was there in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was always there. So why does he have to be given authority if he already had authority? Why? Because there's something that happened when Jesus became a man. The Bible tells us that he was the God-man. He was fully God. But he took on something that he never was. He never lost his divinity, and yet at the same time, he took on humanity. And now he has to come onto this earth, and the Bible tells us that as a man, he made himself lower than the angels, taking on the form of a servant. He became obedient even unto death. He had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember when he went to the Jordan River and he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit came down and he was now filled with the Holy Spirit? So now he places himself into this world, into the confines of this world, into the limitations of this world as a man. And now he dies on the cross and the Bible says he's 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 risen on the third day, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, and he assumes again his authority that he had from the beginning of time. All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. What is the implication of Jesus having all authority? Well, Jesus said this way in Matthew chapter 11, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John 3 says, the Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hand. And so as a human being now, fully God, fully human, the Father has to once again give back the authority to Jesus. And notice what it says, John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he knelt down and washed the apostles' feet. He knew who he was. See, when we're secure on who we are, we can bless other people. 
Ephesians chapter 1, God raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. John 17, 2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So how much authority does Jesus have? All authority in heaven and on earth. And what does that mean? What, what does that translate into? Well, he has authority over everything that's been made. All things were made through him, and without him was anything made. Jesus Christ is the person who made the heaven and the earth and everything in it. He has authority to hold it all together. The Bible tells us he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He has authority over Satan. I love the story about the 70 who go out in the power of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus gave them authority over all things, and now they come back and they go, Jesus, this is so cool. He, they say, man, we can cast out demons in your name. And the Bible says that Jesus turns around and says, don't glory in the fact that you have authority over demons. But he said, now you need to glory over one thing, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Boys, get humble right now. But Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. In my name they shall pick up stakes. Don't do that. Don't try it at home. And it won't hurt them. They shall drink poison and it won't hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Wow. What authority that Jesus has. And he now gives us this authority so that we could use it to glorify him. He had authority over sickness. He had authority over deadly things. He had the power to save those that were far off. I love this. Notice what Mark chapter 10 says. When the rich young ruler turned away from Jesus because he had loved money more than himself, and more than anything else, Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished. And it says that he said to him, then who can be saved, Lord? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Do you know somebody that seems far away from God? I mean, do you know what, do you know what just blows my mind, Greg? Do you know what blows my mind? That when I look into this congregation, you know what blows my mind, Lou? When I look into this congregation, and I see people that seem to think they're so far away from God. And they're here in this place today, glory to God. And they're worshiping God and they're loving God. Listen to me. There's no one that's too far away from the love of God. God's love is deep enough to reach that person that you think is so far away from God. God's love and God's mercy and God's grace is so high enough to reach that person that you think is so far away from God. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's somebody at work and you're praying. You're, you're thinking, why in the world would God want to use me? This person is so far away from God. Friends, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Just one touch, just one word, just one move of God, his sovereignty in that person's life. And that person will come into the kingdom of God. No one's too far away from God. God has given us authority. Let's go in the power. Let's go in the authority. Let's go in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, believing that no one's too far away from the kingdom of God. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. So those people that 
that make you think that they're so far away from God, you just start praying and sick to hound the heaven on them. Glory to God. God will get them. His, he has authority over life and death. I love what it says in the New Living Translation. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. This is what makes us unstoppable, folks. This is what makes the church unstoppable. This is what makes our mandate and our mission unstoppable, even amongst the hardest of people who refuse to believe the hardest places in the world that we believe could never come to Christ. The hardest hearts in this room this morning, the hardest hearts that are watching via live stream, those that are watching in the overflow today, Jesus is Lord over every person. Jesus is even Lord over demonic strongholds. That's why the Bible says, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, somebody. That's why we plant churches. Because we believe that Jesus is Lord over every city. That Jesus is Lord over every community. And we're so excited to be able to tell you that we're going to plant a satellite that we're going to plant another church, and we're going to have another campus in another location. And some of you, you're going to get a phone call, or somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder. And I want you to know, when Franklin comes to you, who's going to be our campus pastor, I want you to know he comes because I've blessed it. And we as a leadership, we believe that God is Lord over cities, and that God has called us to be unstoppable in other cities around uh, Valley Stream, and my vision is to have churches all around Valley Stream, one church, Bethlehem Assembly of God, in multiple locations. And you know what? We've been praying for some of you because you've proven to be a person who believes in an unstoppable God, and you have proven to be loyal and faithful to your church, and most of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have proven that you have a passion to reach lost people in the community. And so listen, when Franklin comes to you and says, hey, how would you like to join the missional team to be the lead team? to go out and help us to plant this satellite, this, this multi-campus approach to church, I want you to know, Pastor Steve says it's okay. In fact, we, we have a whole list of people that we've prayed for, and many of you are on that list, and I want you to go in the power of God. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't say, you know what, I just want to sit in my pew and I just want, you know, some of you, you've got such incredible talent. You've got such incredible vision. You've got such incredible ability. And we need you. We need you to say, yes, I believe that God wants to reach another community. So listen, I want you to pray with me. In fact, I want us to stop right now. And I want to pray that God would bless our next campus. And not only that, but Jesus, and a lot of you know Jesus, he leaves in a couple of weeks and he goes to Cuba. And we're going to be uh, building churches in Cuba. We're on our fourth church and we have a goal of planting 10 churches in Cuba. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so many years ago, uh, Castro, he told the church that they were not allowed to meet in buildings. Listen to me. Jesus will always build his church. So many years ago, Castro, he tried to kill the church. And so what he did is he told the Christians they're not allowed to congregate together in buildings. That was the worst thing he could have done for hell. Come on, somebody. Because God always has a plan. God always has a strategy. And Jesus said, I don't care what man tries to stop the church. I will build my church. And so what happened? The Christians began to pray, and God gave them a plan. And so they began to buy property, and they began to put little houses on these properties and build buildings. 
big rooms off the side of the house. And now you can go to Cuba. I've been there. I've preached in these churches. Some of these churches are 100, 200, 300. Some of them are 1,500 people in house churches. And the fire of God is spreading all through Cuba, through the house church movement. And, and we're a part of that. And we're building 10 of those churches. You see, when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, listen to me, Castro's gone. He's dead and gone. Jesus is still building his church. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Help me out and say, thank you, Jesus. You're going to build your church. I want you to stop with me right now and pray for our next campus and the churches in Cuba. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful to the Great Commission, Lord. God, that we would build and plant churches, Lord, around this community, Lord, around Long Island, and Lord, across the sea to Cuba and across into Africa and Asia, Father. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that we are a part of an unstoppable church. We believe and we will serve until you come again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And thirdly and lastly, Jesus gave the church an unstoppable message. Not only did he give the church an unstoppable mandate, I will build my church. And not only did he give us an unstoppable mission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples, but he also gave us an incredible mission. It's called the gospel. And Paul the apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I love what Paul tells the church in Thessaloniki. He says this in chapter 1, verse 8. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. It's a little church. that, Listen to me. The church of Thessaloniki, it was, a, it was a church that was so persecuted. It was a small church. But they were so filled with an unstoppable hope. In fact, Paul the apostle says, you labor through hope. And you work through love and faith. He says, your hope and your faith has translated in unstoppable joy that's made you an unstoppable church. And the message has rang out, not only from here, but everywhere we go and everyone we talk to, they said, man, they already got to us. Hallelujah. They already shared the gospel with us. They already shared the good news with us. Listen to what he says. Pray also for me that wherever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly with an unstoppable boldness make known the mystery of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it with fearless boldness as I should. Paul tells young Timothy, and because I preach this gospel, the good news, I am suffering and have now been put in prison as a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. Glory to God. The message cannot be confined to prison. It's unstoppable. Now listen to me. I want to tell you something. There are millions of people who still need to hear the message. And Paul the Apostle said, how will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? And how will they go unless someone sends them? And you know that Bethlehem Assembly of God, we support over 100 missionaries. Why? Because they're our partners. And where we can't go, they're going. But we have to send them. We have to finance them. We have to bless them. We have to pray for them. And we have to partner with them. And there are millions of people in this world 
that have never been able to read the Bible or read the gospel. They've never been able to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you in this room, you're thankful that you read that scripture and it changed your life? Come on, let me see your hands. And there are millions of people that don't have a Bible. And the reason why they don't have a Bible is because it hasn't been translated in their language. And simply, I don't find that that's fair at all. That's just not fair. And instead of sitting back and questioning and criticizing and being cynical about it, we've got to be early adopters and we've got to do something about it. We've got to start a movement. That's what Bethlehem Assembly of God does. We start movements. Not just a moment, but we start movements. And I'm so proud of you because you've always been on the front line. You've always been early adopters. You've always said, Pastor Steve, man, if, if that's what God's put on your heart, we're going to join together with you and we're going to believe God. And, and we've got an opportunity to start a movement around the world of being able to translate the scriptures so people can read it. And there's a group of people in Turkey, the Kurdish people in Turkey, the place where seven churches in the book of Revelation, Laodicea, Sardis, Ephesus, Seven churches began. There's no churches there like, like those churches today. There's 2% Christian. But I believe that we can do something about this. I believe we can change the course of history. It's always taken one church, one person, one individual that would believe that they can make a difference in the world and we can make a difference. And on the way in, you receive this card. And I'm going to ask my really dear friend, Mac Peer, who is a mover and a shaker, and let me tell you something, we're so honored to have him in this room today. He travels around the world. He has started incredible movements of God. And today he's with us and we are partnering with him so that we can do something that we've never seen happen in the history of mankind. We can translate all of the Bible in all of the known languages in this world. You've got a card here. In a few minutes, we're going to explain that. But I want you to give Mac Peer a big hand as he comes and shares a little bit more about what we can do. Come on, let's, let's give it up for Mac. Thank you, Mac. Let's go. Thank you. It's a great honor to be here. Uh, it's a great honor to be here this morning with uh, my colleagues, uh, Walter Sotelo, Sharon Cushing. We're part of a team that works on this partnership together. Uh, the organization that we represent is called movement.org. Uh, I also helped start the Concerts of Prayer movement over the last 30 years and work closely with Tim Keller in, in birthing the Church Multiplication Alliance. So we're excited when churches can come together and do great things together. It's been a great privilege to be worshiping here this morning. I so appreciate Pastor Steve and the leadership of this church. I live in Flushing. Uh, I tell everybody that I grew up Presbyterian. I became a Baptist, married a Lutheran, and most of my friends are Pentecostal. So uh, in our church, people speak 60 languages. People in our neighborhood speak 100 languages. My children married Indian, Filipino, and Brazilian. Uh, so my kids speak five languages, and none of my grandkids are going to have blue eyes. <laughs> and as, as I was sitting here thinking about the significance of this message around unstoppable, we heard about an unstoppable mission, an unstoppable mandate, an unstoppable message. I want to introduce to you what I think is an unstoppable moment. Uh, Pastor Steve talked about the unstoppable moment of the crucifixion and the resurrection in Pentecost. Those were all unstoppable moments. 
We've all had unstoppable moments in our lives when we come to faith. Uh, I came to faith because I had high school friends that prayed for me. I, I began to read the Bible. Uh, I had a near-death encounter, and I had a demonic encounter. That all influenced me toward faith. But as I thought about the significance of this morning, April 22nd, 2018, we have the opportunity to birth a movement of churches across our region and ultimately churches around the world that will be committed to see the remaining languages of the world translated into the Bible. There are three questions I have this morning for us. The first question is how important is the Bible to us? I think we all have a Bible with us in some form or another. Do you have your Bible with you this morning? Raise it, in the, raise it up if you have it. This book has changed our life. So the first question I have this morning is how important is this to us? This book is so important to me, I read it through every 90 days. As the older I get, I realize that I have to go deeper in God. If I'm going to understand what he's doing in the world and my role in that, I have to go deep, deeper in God. The second question is, how many people in the world actually do not have access to the Bible in their own language? There are a billion people in the world today that have no access to the Bible in their own language. To get your mind around a billion people, think about City Field or Yankee Stadium. They're each about 50,000 seats. You have to take that stadium times 20,000. That's a billion people. That's a billion people that do not have access to the Bible in their own language. And the third question, third question, is are we willing to give leadership to this cause? Certainly we can invest, and Pastor Steve's outlined that, but more than that, we can invite others. I know many of you had the chance to visit the Museum of the Bible uh, in March. That happened because Steve Green had a vision to create this museum. His brother, Mark Green, had the idea behind this initiative that has 15 agencies working together to translate the remaining languages in the next 15 years. In fact, between services, Mark Green sent Steve and I an email saying he watched the first service online. And he emailed us and said, I'm so excited that this is an unstoppable movement. The person that made it possible for you and I to be in this room today, in part, is a guy by the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndale was born in 1594. He had a vision to take the Bible and translate it into the English language. He was willing to risk his life. And at the age of 42, he was strangled and then burned at the stake. He was willing to become an unstoppable force so that we could have the Bible in English. Back in October, I was talk, sharing this vision with some international leaders, and a man from Congo came up to me. Uh, Congo is the poorest country in the world, and he handed me a $100 bill. He said, I'm committed to investing in this vision. My wife and I are committed to investing in this vision. We are going to personally resource 1,500 verses in an Indian language. There are three times more Hindus in India than there are Americans in America. We have to see the world as, as Jesus sees it and then align our relationships, our resources, and our vision around that opportunity. And so today, Bethlehem is the first church of 100 churches in metropolitan New York to take this step. What you do today will inspire 
not just Metro New York, but it will inspire the world. I'm so honored to be here, and I'm going to stop and invite Pastor Steve to come back. Amen. Let's give Mac a big hand. And, um, <laughs> Mac, so, so when, when Mac presented this to me, and Mac and I go back a long time, and I have such great respect and trust for Mac. He started an incredible prayer movement in New York City that has affected multiple churches and multitude of people. And, and um, Mac said, Steve, would you join in, in this incredible journey of influencing other churches and Christians to be a part of translating the Bible? I said it was a no-brainer. Why was it a no-brainer? Because the Bible tells us where to love our neighbor as ourself. And when I think about my Bible, this is my Bible. This is the thing that brings me hope every day. This is the thing that gives me light. It illuminates my soul. These are the words that gave me the faith to believe that Jesus loved me. This is the very thing that helps me to understand that when I die, I'm going to heaven. When I read John 3.16, when I read Romans 3.23, when I read Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I thought to myself, there are, there are millions of Muslims that need to read this. There are millions of people around the world, that need, and they cannot. I said, I have to do something about it, and so I'm going to give to this project. And, 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 and it's just so simple that anyone can join in on this project. And so, Mac, so basically, $35 buys one scripture. And we have adopted ourselves as a church, the lead church, we have adopted 1,200 verses of scripture that we're going to finance so that we can complete the Kurdish Bible for those that are in Turkey so they, they can read the scripture. Come on, somebody say amen. So exciting, so exciting, so exciting. But Mac, why $35 for one scripture? How does that, how does that translate? Yeah. The, re the reason that this number was derived, $35, this came from uh, the effort of 15 Bible agencies that have been meeting every month for eight years in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. These are organizations like Wycliffe, The Seed Company, American Bible Society. These are agencies with hundreds of years of, of expertise. And they calculated what does it cost to send in a translator, what does it cost to print and to publish, in some cases, even to create a written language for a language that doesn't have it. And, and they, they did the math. The Bible has about 30,000 verses, and they said that it costs a million dollars to translate an entire Bible from beginning to end, and they, did, they simply did the math. And the math comes down to $35 a verse across all these translation projects. And because this group has been meeting every month for eight years, they have reduced the amount of time to finish translating, <clears throat> finish translating the entire Bible by 100 years. Wow. It speaks to the power of faith leaders working together in the power of agreement. So if we get 100 churches in New York to do this together, we will translate 10 entire Bibles. But more importantly, we will inspire 500 other cities around the world to do the same thing. There are 4,000 4, languages that need to be translated. And just imagine that if in 500 cities, the average city adopted eight languages, we could do this in our lifetime. Hey, Mac, I, I have a selfish reason as well. 
Because I read in the scriptures, and I know some people could argue theologically, but I read in the scriptures that we can speed up the coming of Jesus. And the Bible says this gospel will be preached to the whole world, then the end will come. I want Jesus to come back. So the quicker we work together, we get to see Jesus again. Come on, somebody. So we get something out of this as well. Now, now Mac, there's been, I heard, uh, tell me if this is true, but I've heard that there are more Muslims that are coming to faith today than ever before. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a tremendous movement in the Muslim world. The, the, the missiologists believe that there are more Muslims have come to faith in the last 15 years than in the previous 1,500 years combined. Three years ago, I was in a church in Sweden, in Gutenberg, Sweden. It was a Pentecostal church. In two years, they, tra they baptized 450 Iranians. There is a tremendous move in the Muslim world, particularly in places like Iran. And part of what's happening with the, the rise of ISIS and the refugee crises, uh, many Muslims are disillusioned by expressions of Islam in the world, and many refugees are coming into contact with the gospel because they've been displaced. Wow. And so Muslims are now coming to faith. A lot of them are coming just because they're seeing the church out there serving them in these refugee camps. And a lot of, a lot of Muslims are actually having visions of Jesus and he's saying, I'm Lord. But, but that doesn't, that's not enough in the sense that, yes, they'll come to faith, but now they've got to learn the scriptures and we've got to translate the scriptures so that they can read and learn and grow so they can pass it on to other people as well. People will only grow spiritually, I believe, uh, at the rate they need to grow if they can read the Bible in their own language. If we had to read the Bible in another language, it makes our discipleship and our spiritual growth much more difficult. Amen. So you can do something. We can do something together. Now, I'm challenging not only adults, but I'm challenging every person in this room. Not that the husband writes the check and the wife and the vice versa. Well, usually it's the wife anyway, but... Uh, but every person, if you would just buy one verse, $35, there's enough people in this room and in the next service, in the last service, that we can actually finish this project today, 1,200 verses, if everyone took a verse. Now, you might say, you know, I can do more than a verse. Then do more. But let's do it together so that we can see these people get a Bible in their language. I'm sure if you were sitting where they were, you would want somebody to translate the Bible in the language that you can read. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Mac to lead us in prayer. And then I'm going to ask, I'm going to invite the, the, the ushers to come. But I don't want you to take the offering immediately. I want people to have a moment to think. I want people to have a moment to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want people to have a moment to get out their checks, write it to Bethlehem Assembly of God, on the bottom, illuminations, so that we can do this together. Let's start a movement. Now, I'm, people don't realize... I don't know if everybody realized who Mark Green is. So when you said that, I was kind of blown away. I'm so happy that you didn't tell me he was watching while I was preaching because I would have been so nervous. Who is Mark Green? Mark Green and Steve Green are sons of David Green who started Hobby Lobby. Uh, Hobby Lobby is a company that provides arts and crafts for homes. Uh, they, they've grown to become a $4 billion a year company. They give away half their profits uh, to faith causes around the world. Their roots are assemblies of God. So that's why Mark was very excited about this being the first church because of their roots inside the assembly of God. And our vision is that Bethlehem will influence other AG churches in the New York area, New York State, and really across the country. The assemblies of God and the Southern Baptists are the two fastest growing 
uh, Christian, Christian denominations and Protestantism around the world, which is part of why this is a big deal. Amen. So, are you ready to start a movement? Yeah. Who's with me? Are you ready to start a movement? Let's start a movement. Let's pray. And if God has spoken to you and you want to lend your, your voice and resources and influence to this, let's stand in agreement together as I pray. Let's stand. Let's all stand together. Jesus, we all have those moments in our lives uh, that are these, these, these moments. Uh, these, are, these are moments, these unstoppable moments. And, and I pray that, that we could take a mental snapshot of today, April 22nd, as we think about the impact of this on this group of uh, languages in Turkey, as we think about the impact on languages around the world. And I pray, God, that we would be anchored in this moment. We would be anchored in the possibility of using the influence of this church as an early adopter to influence other churches across the city and around the world. And we pray, God, for the people that will receive this Bible in hopefully in a very short period of time in their own language. And we pray that just as Paul went from city to city and door to door, that we would see that kind of movement across the Middle East, that kind of movement across Turkey, the great cities of Istanbul and across the Middle East. And we pray that this would be an accelerant for the gospel yes. and for the return of Jesus in our